0: Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. Turn your Bibles to Isaiah. We're going to be in Isaiah 36. And I'm sure that all of us, at one time or another, have asked the question "Why," and, and, and I don't just mean the, uh, you know, existential "Why" of uh, why things happen. But we, we have to understand that things do occur in our lives, and so the question we have to ask ourselves is: When those things happen, who do we trust? I mean, have you ever had that, that thing hanging over your head? You know, if something is going to occur, you know what's going to happen, you, you know you've got to get it done, and, and you're dreading it. And you, but but it, doesn't, it doesn't hit you, you've got to wait till it starts itself, and, you, and so you're dreading, you're sick to your stomach about what's going to happen. You don't know when, you just know it's right over the horizon, and it won't go away. I mean, think about the emotions we go through when we're dealing with something that causes us that much stress. The fear, the dread, the anger, the denial. We, we ask God, why? Why are we going through this? Why does this have to happen? We may end up going through all of those emotions at one time or even within moments of each other. You know, Thomas Paine, during the American Revolution, he said this, and this is I'm sure you guys have heard this, this phrase, it says, these are the times that try men's souls. And I think for, at least I'm feeling today, that is where we are as a nation, as a world. These are the days that are going to try our soul. And just as it was for the people of Judah during the time that we're going to be looking at today. time of Something, this head thing that they've been dreading for a long time. They've heard rumors and things were happening around them with the Assyrians, and they knew it was coming. It just hadn't happened yet. But when this, when this is happening, when we find ourselves in positions like this where we know something's going to occur and we really have no control over whether it happens or not, where do we go? When that doom is there, we we gotta wonder where is our heart? Who do we place our trust in? Judah's gonna find itself in this very very dire situation. That event, the fact that the Assyrians were going to try to conquer them, had been hanging over their heads for years. The king of Assyria had come and had, had tried to take them one time and they had made negotiations and they became a vassal state and they were paying tribute. This is all done with under Hezekiah's father. So what happens is now there's no way around this, there's no way out of it, at least from what they can see. And there was no doubt in anybody's mind that Assyria was able to conquer Judah. Assyria was the big boy in the neighborhood. They were the bully. They had the power. They had the ability. As I said, Judah had become a vassal state of Assyria, which meant that um, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, had been expecting them to pay him tribute. Basically, it's extortion. Bribery. We give you some money, you'll leave us alone. As long as we give you money and we don't cause you any trouble, you'll leave us alone. Basically... The Assyrians were the mob of their day. They were pulling money from all these different nations because if you don't, I'm going to destroy you, is basically what happens. But at this time, Hezekiah decides that I'm not paying you anymore. We're done. So Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, sends his army and his emissaries. And his his goal is not necessarily just to destroy Jerusalem and Judah, but more than anything, to test the king's resolve. You know, we bluff, right? We bluff all the time. Say, we're, you know, we try to puff ourselves up a little bit and try to assert our authority, when in reality we don't have any. We bluff. So Sennacherib is wondering, is he bluffing? So he sends his military try to see, to test him. So let's look at what happens here in Isaiah 36. It says, In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, so King Hezekiah had been king for 14 years, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. So there is, we have Jerusalem, but then we have all these cities around that were the fortified cities, which were the cities where the military was, where there was walled cities, and they were to protect. They were the first line of defense against any invaders. And the Assyrians come in and they take all those towns. The line of defense was not much of a defense. And the king of Assyria sent Rabshakeh from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem with a great army. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool on a highway to the washer's field. And that's very important that that he's telling us this. And there came out to him Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna the secretary, and Joah the son of Asaph, the recorder. Now Sennacherib had invaded; he conquered the cities all around Jerusalem. He's now he's there. He's, he sends his emissaries, and he wants to parley. That's a way to put it. If you know anything about parley, parley was you you negotiate. You come together, and you try to negotiate a way. To end this situation, to diffuse it in such a way that you know everybody's not killed, the ones who are conquered, and the invading army doesn't have to spend all the time and money because you know when they when they break something, what do they have to do? They have to replace it, right? When we go to war in this country and we we throw missiles and we throw bombs, what do we do? We got to we, we got to replace those. At least we better. I'm not so sh- well. We better replace them. Or we're going to be in trouble. So why don't we just get together? Why don't we talk about it? Why don't we negotiate? So neither one of us are going to have to spend all this money and all this time and all these men, these people dying. So they parlay. They negotiate. Why not avoid the bloodshed? And just do what's going to inevitably happen anyways. Serious thinking, we're going to destroy you. Wouldn't it be better if you just pay us the money now and get rid of us and we'll walk away and you just keep paying us and everything will be just fine? so he sends his emissaries to Hezekiah. And so as Hezekiah obviously doesn't go out, he sends his emissaries out to meet them. And where they meet is a very interesting place because this is the same place where years earlier Isaiah had gone out and confronted Hezekiah's father, Ahaz. Cuz Ahaz was was tempted to make an ungodly and unholy alliance with Assyria against Israel. And Syria. Israel, Assyria and Assyria are two different places. Syria is close to where it is now. Assyria was a nation over in northern Iraq. And Ahaz had gone has gone decided because Assyria and northern Israel, the northern nation, was going to conquer, was going to conquer Jerusalem. And so Ahaz goes to Assyria and says, I, I want you to protect us. You protect us, we'll pay you tribute. We will become a vassal state of you. You protect us, we pay you, you're our security force, you take care of northern Israel, you take care of the Syrians. He had made that deal. And Isaiah had gone out to this very same place that we now find this parley, this negotiation happening. Because see, Ahaz had ignored Isaiah's advice. And he made that alliance. And this is why Jerusalem and Hezekiah himself is now in the position that he is in. Don't think that what we do does not have an effect on those who come after us. It does. Good or bad. But see, the difference was that Hezekiah is not his father. Hezekiah is nowhere near his father. Hezekiah had been leading a religious reformation in Jerusalem. And in Judah, he had taken down all the high places of worship and the shrines that were made to the other gods of the other nations. It was a, a common thing, a common pattern. Uh, Israel, would, would come to, they'd come to faith and they would, they would return to God. And then all of a sudden, after a period of time, after King had died, they'd find out, oh, well, we we're going to go after these other gods too. He had torn down all of these temples to the foreign gods. And he had returned the people to the worship of Yahweh, the one true God. And he was turning the people's hearts back to God. In 2 Kings, this is what it says of Hezekiah, 2 Kings 18. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. Hezekiah was a good king. Hezekiah had turned the people back. He held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but he kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses, and the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. If you go through the list of kings, you'll see that you know this king was a good king, and then the next king was a bad king. Back and forth, back and forth. But Hezekiah was one of the good ones. Very few of them were good. We've covered the things Hezekiah tried to do before this time. He sent emissaries to Egypt. right? He, he attempted to pay off Assyria. But nothing made the difference. What was going to happen was going to happen. And all that was left was for Hezekiah was, and the remnant of Israel, inside the walls of Jerusalem... The only thing they had left, the only place that they could turn, was to God himself. We talked about this a few weeks ago, how the fact that God gets us to that place where there's, we have no hope. We try every single thing to do on our own, all of our own abilities, and what does he do? He waits till we get to that point where we realize we cannot do it without him. And in our desperation, we turn to him and he says, I'm here. I'll take care of it. Why do, why do we wait? It's a, it's a human trait. Hezekiah did it too. And he was a good king. But he had to be at the right place. So what we have here, so now the Assyrians are now here and they've sent the emissaries, and we're going to see propaganda. If you don't know what propaganda is, just pay attention to the news today. It's all propaganda. And this is what it says in verse 4 of Isaiah 36. And then Rabshakeh said to them, Say to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, On what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? Behold, you are trusting in Egypt that broken reed of a staff which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it. Such as Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed? Saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar. See, he's twisting it. Those high places were not to God. Those high places were to the other gods. Come now, make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses. How then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servant? I say 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to set riders on them. What he's saying is I'll give you 2,000 horses, but you can't ride them anyways. He's trying to show them how weak they are. How can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants when you trust in Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? Moreover, it is without the Lord... Is it without the Lord that I have come up against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, "Go up against this land and destroy it." Those were the words of Sennacherib, said through Rabshakeh. So what's happening? They're trying to use propaganda to get Hezekiah and the people to surrender and to save the costly, costly siege of the city. It was it's not. Why not, right? Why not at least offer something to try to keep that from happening? And he asked these two questions. Rabbi Shachai asked these two questions that I think we would be wise to ask ourselves. The first one in verse 4 was, On what do you rest this trust of yours? What are you trusting in today? Are you trusting in yourself? Are you trusting in your wealth? Are you trusting in the stock market? Are you trusting in your in your the leaders? What are you trusting in? And the second in verse five is actually very close to the, the first, because it's not the first one's talking about what things are you trusting in? Are you trusting your military? Are you trusting in your your walls? But then he goes a little further. He says, In whom do you trust? It's a person. Are you trusting in Hezekiah? Are you Trusting who are you trusting in? Today, who are we trusting in? Are we trusting in whoever sits in the White House? Well, that's foolish. Are we trusting in our bosses, our employers? Hmm, that's not wise either. They have different motives than we do. Are we trusting in our family? I think we some people found out how much they can trust their family in the last three years, because some people still haven't seen their family in the last three years. Who do you trust? In whom do you place your trust? But it, it, it's not just the question that Raph is asking. It's how he asks it. What does he say? He says, say to Hezekiah. Notice the disrespect. Say to Hezekiah. Who is Hezekiah? Hezekiah is a king. No different than Sennacherib is a king. But Rabshakeh he belittles Hezekiah. And he elevates Sennacherib. This is not a peace negotiation. This is intimidation. This is pure intimidation. He's trying to strip away any confidence at all that the Israelites have, the Jewish people have, in their king. He does what uh, many times we see happening with Satan. Satan does the same thing to us. What does he do? He plants this little bit of doubt in us. In the midst of our trials of our lives, we have to wonder. We ask that question, why? Why was this happening to me? Is there really a God? Does God really care for us? Why does he allow this to happen? I didn't do anything to deserve this. Yeah, you did. Why? Why? Rapshachai is doing what I call talking trash. He's not saying things that are truthful. He's twisting them for his own gain. You know, we think that words have no power. You know, sticks and stones may break our bones, but names will never hurt me. In reality, words do hurt. Words have power. But the source of that power is what makes those words have power. Satan's words have no power. Why? Because he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. The the words of God have power. And I'm not talking power that we can wield and we can, you know, it's not magic. It's power to encourage, power to lift up, power to save. Power to change lives. That's true power. Today we rely on the words of the gospel, the the mere words of the Lord Almighty. These words have power to save us, to save all who believe. And faith comes from hearing those words. That's why evangelism is so important. That's why we're having that seminar on Saturday. We we need to be using these words. See, the, the people of Judah know the math, the battle math. They know that there is no way that they can stand up against Assyria. They know that there's no way that they're going to win this war. They're outnumbered, outpowered. But see, God is the one who created math. I keep telling the kids that. Some of my kids don't like math. I say, God created it. And they're like, well, (laughs) I don't like it. (laughs) Numbers don't add up for the Assyrians, according to God's math. It's 185,000 people armed, armed, ready for battle-hardened Assyrian soldiers against who? Against Hezekiah? No, they're against the Lord Almighty. There's the, the math for them doesn't make sense. They just don't know it. The math of Yahweh is actually tipped towards Judah. But... The words of Rabshakeh have their effect, and they affect the envoys of Hezekiah. Look at verse 11. It says, Then Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah said to Rabshakeh, Please, speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. Do not speak to us in the language of Judah within the hearing of the people who are on the wall. So the people are on the wall because they're interested in what's happening, and the emissaries are out there far enough, and Rabshakeh is talking loud enough that the people on the wall can hear, and he's speaking to them in Hebrew. So the people, the common folk, can understand it. And they're like, don't do not do that. Speak to us in Aramaic, because they don't understand Aramaic. We do. Speak to us in that. But, Rabshakha said, Has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you, and not to the men sitting on the wall, who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and drink their own urine? Then Rabshakeh stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah. So he's trying to stir up even more dissent. Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. The city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. But well, thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine. And each one of you his own fig tree. And each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern. Until I come and take you away to a land that, like your own land. A land of grain and wine. A land of bread and vineyards. You see what he's doing? He's saying, listen. I'm going to let you stay. We're gonna, if you come out to me, if you surrender, I'm going to let you stay here for a while. You'll be able to eat of your own vines. You'll be able to drink of your own water. But the time is coming when we're going to come after you, and you're going to get transported. If that's what we do. We would pick you up and we take you someplace else. But that place, oh, it's just as good as this one. Just as good as this one. A simple request is what the emissaries from Hezekiah have made. Talk to us in Aramaic so the people on the wall can't hear. But he doesn't. Because Rabshakeh's mission is to intimidate and discourage all the people of Jerusalem. So that's what he's doing. So he raises his voice, speaks in Hebrew, loud enough for everybody to hear, to cause division, confusion, and doubt. And that is what the evil one does to us. He talks to us. He, he talks to those around us. He, I don't know how he's able to do it. He can, he can speak to us. We can hear him. His, our spirits can hear what he's saying to us. He can't, but understand, he can't hear what we think. He does not, he's not omniscient. Okay? He's not all-knowing. He's not everywhere at one time. He's not, he's not omnipresent. He's definitely not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. But he knows us. He knows humans. He's been around a long time. He knows the Bible probably better than we do. Doesn't believe it. He talks to us. He speaks to us. He tries to influence us. He tries to influence those around us, trying to discourage us, to create divisions. Why I've said from the start. All this these things that have been going on, and I can't say the C word because if I do, then YouTube will not let that video be out there. It already killed one of my videos because I said the C word on it. But the whole cause, the whole point of this was to divide us, and that's what it has done. It's evil from the start. I don't care how it happened, it's evil. He's behind it. He's always behind it. He's trying to bring division in our lives, between our families, in our church, in our society. Divide and conquer, that's his goal. Pit brother against brother, stir up desire for self-security, self-preservation to the point that we are willing to forget our relationships and any connection we have to those in our lives. You know, Jesus tells us in John 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. We know this. But see, Satan tries to sweeten the deal. Just as Rabshakeh is saying, you can stay here for a while, you'll be able to do it, and then I'm going to take you someplace that's just as good, and you'll probably be better off anyways, right? But isn't that what temptation tries to get us to believe? Oh, you you might lose a little something now, but what I'm going to give you is so much better. You know, you may lose your family, but man, wouldn't you rather just would you rather have this? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you rather feel better by taking this? You're, you're going to lose a lot, yes, but you'll you'll feel much better. Really? I don't think so. He, Rabshakeh is trying to tempt and to entice Judah. But see, the the truth is that the Assyrians dealt very harshly with those that they conquered. Even if they let them stay there for a while, they're going to come again, and this time they're going to really take care of them. They're going to really make it hard on them. They love to be cruel to those who oppose them. The prophet Nahum had this to say about Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Says, Woe to the bloody city! In Nahum 3, and all full of lies and plunder, no end to the prey. The crack of the whip, the rumble of the wheel, galloping horses and bounding chariots, horsemen charging, flashing sword and glittering spear, hosts of slain, heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end. They stumble over the bodies, and all for the countless whorings of the prostitute, graceful and of the deadly charms, who betrays nations with her whorings and people with her charms who they were. Don't let them deceive you. That's who the evil one is. He is evil incarnate. He is the father of lies. He knows them all. He invented them all. And he's good. His words drip with evil. Do not parley with him. Do not fall for his temptation. Now, Rabshakeh is going to make a mistake. He's going to make a very fatal mistake. In verse 18 of Isaiah 36, he says, Beware lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? And you're like, well, pff, of course not. Those are just idols. Those are just pieces of wood. understand that if you really study the unseen realm, you'll understand that those gods are those are the those are the, the little g gods, those are real creed beings who took those nations. And if you read the Book of Psalm, you read Deuteronomy, you'll see that. If you read the Unseen Realm or Supernatural, you'll see that. Where, the, where, the gods of Hamath and Ap, where are the gods of Hamath and Ap, Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharphim? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of this land have delivered their lands out of my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? Sennacherib and Rabshakeh have now overreached themselves in their foolish national pride and arrogance which is common amongst us even today he blasphemes the lord god almighty he flat out states that yahweh can't save you he can't do it and this is something again that evil is we see a we see a picture of Satan in here. We see a picture of evil here. Evil always seems to do that. It always goes further than it should. That's why I can tell you now that all these things we see happening in the world and the evil behind it, it's going to overstep its bounds one time, and we're going to see it. It's all going to come out. I'm not sure we're going to be able to recover easily from it, but it's all going to come out. It always oversteps its bounds. These few words will will lead to the downfall of not just the military campaign that they're on right now. It's actually going to lead to the downfall of the whole nation of Assyria. We'll get to that later. See, the Assyrians didn't know who they were fighting against. They didn't understand who they truly were fighting against. They had this very polytheistic idea that all the gods were, it's like a pantheon, all the gods are there and they're all equal. There is the hosts of heaven, but they're not all equal. There is one who is the God of all gods. He is Yahweh, the almighty God, the creator God, the one who's different than all the others. They didn't realize that that's who they were fighting against. They didn't understand that while there are other Elohim, other gods, look at Deuteronomy 82, you'll see that, the host of heaven, there's only one Yahweh, who is the creator and the sustainer of the whole world. And the only reason why they are standing at the doorstep of Jerusalem is because he's allowing it to happen. They didn't realize that God sits on his throne and that men are grasshoppers to him. Nations are just a drop in the bucket. It is God who is sovereign over all. And while we have the ability to exercise our free will and have this false idea that we can control our own destiny, it is God who ultimately, His will will ultimately be played out throughout history. We see this in Scripture. It is God who raises kings. It's God who determines the times. It's God who determines the fates of the nations. Not Rabshakeh, not Sennacherib, not even Hezekiah, and definitely not you and me. Now, what is the response? How does this group of emissaries from Hezekiah, how do they respond? Verse 21, it says, but they were silent and answered him not a word. You know, sometimes it's good just to be quiet and not say anything. Hard for pastors to do, I know. Hard for us to do when we know we're right. Sometimes we just got to be quiet. And that's what Hezekiah had commanded them. He says, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn. They are mourning. In Jewish tradition, if you were mourning or something bad happens, you tear your clothes. If somebody blasphemed in front of you, you tear your clothes. It's showing that I'm burying myself. I'm just ripping my clothes. I'm so upset. And told him the words of Rabshakar. Sometimes when we're faced with ignorance and the futility of evil, it's best to be quiet. No reason to get into a war of words when God will deal with the boastful claims of the enemy. God's going to take care of it. There are times when we are to speak. God will give us those words to speak, but many times it's best just to be like Christ and be quiet and not say a word. So we get back to that question, whom do we place our trust? In whom are we trusting? Who are we depending on? Are we putting our trust in what our hands can make? <laughs> I, I've, been, I've been working hard enough in my life. I've seen what my hands can make, and I don't trust it. I can do a lot of things with my hand. My hand, not anymore. My hands hurt today, they hurt really bad, but you know, I I, I can't trust it. Yet. I always doubt what you know, I, I put something on, you know, like I put, took the tire off the car and I put it back on, I'm like, I'm going to double check, check those lug nuts just to make sure that they're tight. <laughs> I don't trust myself. What are we trusting in? Are we trusting our leaders? Are we trusting in those who seem to have all the answers even though they keep changing the answers? Or are we trusting in the one who loves us, who never changes, and loves us with an everlasting love. Now, understand that if we do that, if we trust in God, just like Rabshakeh sneered, the world is going to sneer at us for trusting God. We are, understand, those of us who are truly believers in Christ are now a minority in this world. We are no longer a majority. And I'm afraid that even in the church, those who truly trust in God are a minority in the overall church. We are a minority. People are going to sneer at us for having faith in God. But even if we lose our nerve in the face of the world's accusations, God is still going to be there to deliver us. But he wants us to get real with him. He, wants us, he, he doesn't want us just to pull him out of our pocket whenever we need him. He wants us to be in a real relationship with Him. Talking with Him. That means praying to Him. And that doesn't mean we got to sit down on our knees and fold our hands. We don't, we don't we, and bow our heads. We tell our kids, why do we tell people to fold your hands and bow your eyes? That is not the Twelfth Commandment. Why do we tell that to the kids? Because we know what they're doing. They're looking around, right? So we tell them, bow your heads and close your eyes. to Try to get them to focus. As an adult, I don't have to do that. Well, Maybe sometimes I do because I have a tendency to look around. But I can I can just sit in the car as I'm driving along and I can talk to God just like He's sitting next to me. He wants us to read His Word because that's how He talks to us. He wants us to be real with Him. He wants us to trust Him with a faith that is daring. See, if we never find ourselves being criticized for our trust in God, do we? Are we truly trusting in the promises of God? If we're never, if somebody never questions us about it, if somebody never looks at us and calls us fools for believing in God, are we truly believing in God? Are we really living by our faith? If no one ever asks us to explain why we have hope, is our hope any different than the hope the world offers? if they don't see a difference? Have we neutered our Christianity so much that all it takes is a religious conversion, we think all it takes is a religious conversion without real change in our lives? I think that's one of the reasons why we see so few people coming to Christ. Either we're not telling them about Christ, we're not living Christ in front of them, or we've neutered our own Christianity so bad that it doesn't show. It becomes nothing more than an alternative. That's why you hear a lot of churches today say, well, there's more than one way to God. You don't, you don't have to just believe in Christ. Yeah, you do. He said it himself. Christianity has become padded, become safe. It's predictable is predictable worldliness with the occasional stop-off at the church on Sunday mornings. That's what it has become. And it's nothing new. I I go back and listen to sermons from 100 years ago. It was the same back then. It's funny when we listen to that and we find, I'm like, they have the same problem we do. Weak Christianity. Are we shocking anybody with our faith? (laughs) If God let's say, let's say if God came to us today and He showed us the true meaning of what it, what it means to be a believer in Christ, would we sit there and say there's no there's no way anybody can live like that today? I think that's what we would probably think. This is why our lives keep going from upheaval to upheaval. God wants us to experience what it's like to come through the only thing with the only thing that really matters and that's him. He wants us to be a living proof that he is real. So we dare to treat him we need to treat him as our greatest ally in the universe and that's what Hezekiah is doing. He's saying, "Yeah, I know Assyria has all this army, they have they have all of this and I don't care what they say, but we have God. We have Yahweh. There's nothing greater Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.30, he says, And because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Don't listen to the words of the enemy. Trust in the promises of God. Trust him to forgive you you, even when you've lost all those opportunities. That he put in front of you, you haven't done them. Trust Him, trust Him to carry you through these times of troubles. He's going to deliver you. He promised it. He promised it. In whom do you trust? Let's pray. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're watching on YouTube, please like this video as it will help in spreading this message into the global online community. Please consider subscribing to our page so that you will receive notices when we post new messages. If you're watching this on Rumble, please hit the Rumble button for this video so that the gospel can be spread into the Rumble community. Also, consider subscribing to our Rumble channel. You can also listen to our podcast on Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts. We hope you have a blessed day.